Hello, this is Terry Vandermark, also known as Thaddeus Quasar, introducing you to um, The Varied Tongues of God, Episode 4. Um, but before we begin, uh, I'd like to uh, introduce you, if you haven't already heard, of the podcast Michigan and Other Mayhem, uh, created uh, by Jen and Ailey, um, and uh, you'll really enjoy it, so check it out. Um, now, on with the show. The leadership of the rebellion that was facing off against the village of Golden Bridal sat mustered together atop a hill that overlooked the quiet, unassuming village. Life in the village went on as if there was no dire threat within yards of it. But there was no denying it. The many intervening trees could not hide the thousands of troops congregating for square miles all around the village. Elder Gavin articulated what no one else among them dared speak. We crush Golden Bridal tonight. First we round up her villagers, find those willing to join one of her own, and those who refuse, we extract them like a cancer. After that, we overturn every stone until we are confident we have the last morsel of truth that Mayor Taurus selfishly guards. Then we destroy the village, burn her to the ground. How say the rest of you? Does this appeal to your unanswered need for truth and justice? I don't know, said Chairman Regis. Golden Bridal is one of the eight, one of the first, not unlike a father to us. It would not be right to mistreat so harshly a place that has nurtured the races and strengthened the world. Golden Bridal ought to be respected. Golden Bridal need be cherished. The leadership mulled, then gelled. As a, body that descended, as a body, they descended the hill and entered the village. They were immediately met by Gawa and much of the villagers of Golden Bridal. Gawa seemed to know Gavin as if the two were siblings. Gawa peered at him through the veil that draped over the wide brim of her hat. We did love and respect one another, and that was not too long ago now. It is a shame how things have turned out. Either you surrender, professed Gavin, and give over your treasure and your lives to us, or we will take what is rightfully ours. What do you say, Gawa? Gawa stepped back. She extended her slender arms. Each hand took a hand of each of the other two gruff brothers. These two took the hands of Tazdi, the man who used squirrels as weapons, and of Unge, the leather worker. One took the hand of Chenchu, the bespectacled, the other took the hand of Bitka, the village's cook. Gawa re required, Do all of you think we are the source of lies? Elder Skep replied, The biggest lie you spread is that the world would not last without you. Gawa affirmed, If you are convinced we are the source of lies, and that we are self-serving at your expense, and at your village's expense, then break through this line we've formed and enter our village. If we were not confident among ourselves, if there is nothing but lies that support us, then Golden Bridal must quickly and irrefutably fold. The leaders looked apprehensively at the courageous, determined people resisting them. What is this bluster? Mayor Marvis came for, face to face with Gawa. 
I won't stand for the tyranny of ignorance and fear to hold us back. Marvis made an effort to step past the wall formed by the villagers of Golden Bridle, but found it impossible to do so. Elder Gavin took his place beside Mayor Marvis. Where is your mayor? Mayor Torres, I demand an audience with the mayor of Golden Bridle. Bring him forward. Galva said only, our mayor is not here. We will be victorious even should we be without him. Elder Gavin studied Gawa for the longest time, apparently looking for some sign of fear or weakness. Finally, he confessed, We may fear losing something in an exchange with you. Good for us, we have recruited those who fear losing nothing. Elder Gavin motioned to a boy. Immediately, he blew into a trumpet. The voice caused the entire forest to quake. An army of 9,000 boulder-born, moss-covered trolls emerged from out of the woods. They permeated the village as though the sluice gates had been opened. Trees were thrown over. Their voices, wrenched from the woods' cores, caused many villagers to shout. Gao was certain there were more trolls than trees in the forest. How could they fend off such a number? The villagers who called Golden Bridal home acted fast. Mimika took a budding rod and drew a line in the sand. The effect was that the trolls found themselves unable to cross. They congregated, perplexed, peering in and barking and snapping their jaws. A large troll barreled into Mimika, dislodging the rod. The troll motioned to his brethren, who flooded through the only opening. Quick, we can still close off the village from most of these trolls, determined Gawa. We do this, we succeed in keeping the trolls back, and we may just prove victorious. Tazde took his staff and generated a wall of shimmering, fluctuating, fluctuating energy. It had the effect of driving a knotted wall of trolls' bent elbows and bent knees back. Not a few of them suffered bruised and burnt flesh and broken bones. The, those in the four were most reluctant to try to try a second attempt to enter the village, but they were driven forward by a thousand snorting, biting beasts behind them. Quick, charged Gawa, close it off, close off the circle before any more trolls should enter our village. Mimika scooped up the rod once more and fell flat, complete, completing the circle. The trolls within the village found themselves greatly outmanned, with only roughly 850 of their number in the village, and this against a fearless band of individuals most gifted and capable of inflicting unanswerable damage upon them. Gawa approached the lead troll, Marblebrow. The lead troll's top of his head had been cleft in two, His creased flesh was studded with smoky gems that winked in the sunlight. The woman stepped adjacent to a throbbing rose bush. She plucked free a silky blood-red bulb. I will give you this opportunity, announced the stalwart woman. You may go. You may keep your number, or you may die. Right here, right now. What do you say? The troll leader, Marblebrow, grunted, then replied, We don't fear you. 
Our numbers are, far, are much too many, much too many. There is no defeating us. Well enough, replied Gawa. Then you will die here. You and those foolish enough to follow your orders. Marble Brow chuckled. He slid a knobby hand down the center of his head, then lifted his knotted club and beckoned the 850 to rush upon the outnumbered villagers and relish in the shouts of the dying. Gawa said nothing. She only took the rosebud she clutched in her delicate hand and tossed it behind her. As soon as the flower touched the ground, it generated a series of in three intense blasts. King Marble Brow was knocked to the ground. With difficulty, the angry and confused troll climbed to his feet. He surveyed the damage. Many trolls lie dead, instantly slain by the series of blasts. A handful were severely crippled. The hundred-odd trolls were missing arms and legs. They hobbled about trying to muster enough anger and hate to return to the fray, regardless of their disadvantages. Many found themselves taking the limbs and the arms and legs of others to snap these into place of limbs lost. As for King Marblebrow, he identified his own wound. At first, he could not assess what was wrong with him. The sight was perplexing. Marblebrow blinked, looked up, and back at his torso, blinking again. The king of the trolls could not help but chuckle at the sight. His left arm had been severed, torn away at the elbow. It had somehow entered his belly. The hand was an oily black fist, clenched as it had been in rage at the moment it was ripped away from the ex by the explosion. King Marblebrow turtled. He pulled free though with difficulty he had suffered limb, the wound closing like an eye, intending to use it as a unique weapon. Waving it high above his head, he barked in, in their ugly language, commands for his troops to act. King Marblebrow hesitated. Then, with a shout, he lunged forward upon the tight spinning circle of fearless villagers. The odd weapon the troll bore succeeded in striking. Chenchu's shoulder. The blow knocked the villager's weapon free. Tazdi picked up the blade. He was crafty. He spun around, defeating the creature's thrust. The king's errant blow left him open to attack. The man succeeded in striking just beneath the left knee. The strike was so severe that the troll fell backwards. King Marblebrow fell forcibly on his back. He inspected the new wound. There was no climbing up from this. Marblebrow watched, hate welling up in his contorted face as the jealous second-in-command, Silchin, approached. He knelt beside the dying king and guffawed. <laughs> Looks like I've become the new king. The assassin, Silchin, inserted his blade with obvious delight into his former king's neck. He removed the, the blade, then wiping the viscous blood on his holy grimy smock. He watched hungrily as life seeped from his former nemesis. King Marblebrow, as he fought off death, understood why the villages of the Northwood were so formidable. They must have approached the other peoples of the Abyssin 
that they had the trolls, promising gifts among those who those most in need of them, most eager to have them granted. Golden Bridal's strength was not in armies, it was not in wealth. Golden Bridal's strength was most likely concentrated in what? Five hundred persons, well placed in every kingdom and among every race throughout the world, promised a crown or a bride or a treasure, made possible by the circulation of a scroll or two. They acted out. They undermined those looking to conquer the peoples of the Northwood and received their gift, all so that the villages would survive. Had King Marblebro not been so arrogant and hungry for human flesh and greedy for the wealth revealing many secrets to those who affected, those most affected, he would have come away with new respect for the people of the Northwood. Indeed, he could have allied his army with Golden Bridal. Unfortunately for the king, he learned his lesson too late, and it cost him his life. Silchin carved away the flesh of the king, bearing the gems, and grafted it to his own chest. After all, this was how each king was identified among the trolls. So where are you taking me? asked Mayor Taurus of the three thin painted boys as they led the horse on he was on down the cobblestone road. I must get back to Golden Bridal. I fear for the safety of my home. The Council of Eight most surely has convened by now. Will you take me back to Golden Bridal? The three boys said nothing. The only, they only walked on in silence, the eldest one lightly tugging the reins of the horse and lazily guiding the animal behind them. What did the three boys intend for the mare? Taking the mare was a high crime. It had happened only once before, and the crime resulted in the burning down of the culprit's village, the first village to suffer such a fate. Now that judgment was a common occurrence. Perhaps the village of Pissfield Canteen was guilty of burning down errant compass. They held the talisman of Golden Bridal. Now, what did they intend once they captured the Mayor Taurus? Did they intend to weaken Golden Bridal, regarded as the premier village in the Northwood, the greatest among the first eight, the one most respected and feared by everyone outside the forest? Did the village of Pissfield Canteen look to force its own agenda? without fear of being thwarted by Golden Bridal or the other villages. It would be a bold move, one that, would, that could result in their complete annihilation. He feared for them. Their children without parents, without a mayor or an elder or a council were making a mistake. Mayor Taurus wondered what he should do. Would his life end? at the hands of foolish children? He chuckled to himself. He remembered the last time he very nearly died, some 30 years ago now, just after the Wizard Wars, when the Authority, a league of the most powerful magic wielders, was created. Golden Bridal was the only village to align itself with a wizard. The relationship between Meritorus and Wizard Clotus fostered an understanding between the villages and the witches and wizards of the authority. This allowed the villages to keep the powerful magic wielders out of the Northwood. But the relationship was a tenuous one. 
Should Algernon, the high wizard, be slain or imprisoned, the efforts made by Clotus would be ignored, and there would be little to resist the authority from returning and claiming the north wood. Mayor Taurus mulled over the first meeting between Clotus and himself. The night he should have died, he was convinced. The wizard knew some mayor from some other village had told him that Golden Bridal would harbor a threat to the authority, and it would most certainly be home to a frightful wizard, one prophesied about, the undeniable one. Perhaps, if the mayor of Golden Bridal was slain, the undeniable one would refuse this, this safe place. The two silently fought one another for hours in the square. Clotus used an array of balls of energy, the wizard's forte. As for Mayor Taurus, he deflected them effortless, effortlessly. Most flew directly skyward, illuminating the night sky. Others were redirected into the ground. They burrowed like enormous beasts, many of them digging beneath houses and compromising foundations. Finally, a precious few slammed into ancient trees, trees that dated back to the days of creation, trees the villagers in building Golden Bridal knew not to harm, that they could help defend their village when need be. Only three balls of flame managed to strike their target, the mayor. When Clotus was disarmed by his initial success, that was when Mayor Taurus struck. He made use of what looked like a phantom, a small, slow-moving cyclone that picked up debris, tools, and junk scattered throughout the village to give it body to arm it. Mayor Taurus created two more cyclones, equally disposed. Before the wizard could acknowledge the two additional phantoms and capably meet the threat, the three cyclones cleverly and skillfully engaged the wizard, defeating his magic while, de meeting, while meeting his defensive moves and challenging and overcoming him. Clotus, wide-eyed and terrified, looked Mayor Taurus's way. It was clear to the mayor that he was granting that his life was in Mayor Taurus's hand. Go on, take my life, the wizard Clotus urged the mayor. Go on, I'm clearly defeated. Only please do not be cruel and take your time. But I can make use of you, Mayor Taurus pushed aside the whirling cyclones. He lifted the wizard to his feet. The three cyclones stopped twirling abruptly. The debris, the debris shot out in all directions, breaking windows and spattering against houses and entering with force into the wood siding of the homes of those sleeping. Mayor Taurus claimed, now I own you, you cannot deny it. The wizard blanched. Taking his blade, Clotus swiftly swept in behind the mare and held the knife next to the man's throbbing carotid. The mare spoke without fear. Have you learned nothing today, or are you still a fool? Clotus said nothing. He caught his own eye in the, as the blade wavered in his trembling hand. I do not fear death. Certainly, I have offered my life up a lot. You must believe that, don't you? Clotus took a step back. I know the future, Mayor Taurus spelled out for the wizard, not well enough to take direct action. 
but enough to keep my options open. I need to live. That I cannot deny. The course of future events, and certainly your own life, would be impacted, and that negatively, were you to kill me, here and now. Cleotus dully pocketed his knife. Very good, conveyed the mayor. You have come away with the two most valuable treasures we have to bestow on the people that come to the Northwood. You have hope. You have my trust. The wizard cocked his head to the side and considered the curious manner and curious mayor in front of him. You are certainly the most dangerous man in all the Abyssin. Mayor Taurus nodded. He then placed a hand on his shoulder. There is a time approaching. What day or hour that might be, I can't say. You will doubt, but do not worry, for it is healthy to doubt. Should you doubt, you will not know that you might be victorious. I do not need victors as much as I need men who must be victors. You will see a sign. You will fear for the world and its creator. Then must you return to the Northwood as a conqueror in front of a conquering army. Clodish shivered. Okay, I understand. No, I'm afraid I don't understand, but no matter. And with that said, Clodus climbed back onto his horse and made for the shadowy wood that circled and served to protect and hide the village of Golden Bridal. Mayor Taurus grimaced as he rode the horse silently, escorted by the three painted boys. Maybe it was time. Maybe Golden Bridal was endangered and with it the world. Maybe Clotus had seen the sign. Maybe it was time for the wizard to return to the North Wood. Once the trolls had fought among themselves, once those siding with King Zilchin combated with those who refused to recognize his reign, severely decimating their numbers, the last remnants, some two hundred or so, picked up the weapons they coveted and, coveted and bolted, rushing south to exit the Northwood as swiftly as possible. The leadership determined to defeat Golden Bridle looked over the indefatigable village. They were grieved by the fact that their sizable troll contingent was reduced to a handful, and that with only a modest amount of blood spilled among the targeted villagers. Galva recovered her obvious swagger. She approached the edge of the village and cried out, What will you do now, mayors of bloody dagger and of gilded eyepiece? How will you approach us now, council members and elders? You should not know. You should have known that 9,000 trolls were no match for us, but then you are not among the clever ones. The leaders atop the hill huddled together. Elder Gavin stated, It is obvious we weren't prepared enough to take on Golden Bridal. What is this blather? asked Councilman Todd. We, will still, we, will, we still have the dwarves. Councilman Todd broke from the others and approached the southern face of the hill. There the dwarf stood, some 6,000 in number, jabbering, jabbering and fidgeting and eager to act. King Apoc of Quachiotl uttered, I respect the people of Golden Bridle, but should we go away without the knowledge these people hold over our heads, we would remain defeated. Elder Gavin joined Todd and provoked the dwarves, go on and take Golden Bridle. It is no surprise that an army of 9,000 trolls could be defeated and that's effortlessly. 
six thousand dwarves and most of them proven warriors there is nothing that can stop you from taking what arguably belongs to you a horn sounded it was joined by two others the dwarves gave out a shout then rushed curbing the hill crowned by the opposing leadership and washed over golden bridle the advancing dwarves with king apoch at the fore ran stopping abruptly as galwa stood barring their path why do you enter golden bridle as warriors asked the woman through the black veil there is no need to enter swinging axes as you can see we bear no weapons and we do not bar your, your free passage king apoch barked we dwarves are no fools you divide us or we or would divide us as you successfully did with the trolls but i tell you what i promised my men they will all know the truth do you think a secret can survive among six thousand especially those given to drink no a new chapter will be written in the histories of the dwarves with that said the dwarves gave out another shout then raised their weapons above their heads and raced past gawa and entered the village they began rummaging through each house breaking the wood siding and climbing up and punching clay tiles they even slaughtered animals thinking their innards could house scrolls as well as the dwarves swelled in the village square gawa weaved her way among the warriors the woman took apoch's hand and squeezed it and smiled without a word she isolated him from the other dwarves and guided him through the village the other six thousand dwarves did not know how to react should they be concerned that gawa a woman of frightful abilities was taking him at her own discretion through the heart of golden bridle some regarded her as a witch others a goddess the smart ones would not look her way or stuffed oily claws in their ears who was to say she was not leading him into some kind of trap the other dwarves officers dwarven officers weapons at the ready followed at a distance the army confused produced their weapons but remained further back eager to respond to the slightest sign of distress what will we do asked knight cephal of king epoch once we have secured our secret they hold on to you don't expect them to just let us leave with that knowledge do you king apoch nudged the knight and winked this may be the most costly mistake they've ever made no once we have our secret to ourselves we will sack this place take all the other treasures we can find it would go a long way in establishing and fortifying the new dwarven nation as we will be vulnerable the initial years in the end we will kill the villagers and burn golden bridle to the ground that act in itself will go a long way terrifying the other peoples throughout the Abyssinian who depend on keeping us down that is the end of episode four um tune in on um uh for episode five of the very tongues of god um which will be coming shortly thank you and goodbye